Blog Talk Radio. It's a gridiron stud show and a promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Calamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad, with your breakfast toast. Iron Stud Show, Chad Wilson, Emil Calamino here with you for the next hour to talk a little bit of this and a little bit of that and uh, all the things you may have been talking about, maybe some of the things you haven't been talking about, but we're here and we're here to talk. You're there to listen, but you can also participate in the show today. Feel free to call us. This is a live show. The number to call is 347-633-9365. going to read that a little slower for those of you who just rolled out of bed. 347-633-9365. Or you can reach us on Twitter, at Gridiron Studs. You know, Twitter, that place. Uh, Amol, what you know? We've been gone for a little minute. There's been a lot that's uh, that's gone on. A lot for us to get to in the show today. We're probably not. I'm pretty sure we're not going to get to all the things that are on both my mind and your mind, and the mind of all of those listening today. But we'll attempt to do that. But before we get into a number of these things, Amol, I've got something that's uh, been on my mind, and uh, part of that is. In this day and age, uh, more than ever, the public as well as the media loves athletes and big personalities. We can agree on that, right, Emil? Oh, my God. That's yeah. all that's all we see on TV these days, pretty much, that's is, all is it, per, that's big all personalities and athletes, yep. Big personalities get big coverage, and with that, we all often get lied to. Display a big personality in these days and ages, and uh, you're rating gold for the media outlet. The public at large has an insatiable appetite for entertainment. At every turn, we must be cured about boredom. This is the reason why smartphones have taken off over the last decade. We must be entertained. So where do the lies come in? The media will always gravitate to the big personalities. Big personalities make their jobs easier. Big personalities provide stories that get clicks, views, and cheers. More viewers, more advertisers. More advertisers, more money. Once the media finds a personality, they will cover up for their shortcomings on the field of play. They'll also give them awards and accolades because it adds to the narrative. In essence, Emil, the media will create a star for their own use. I've watched this at almost every level of sport, especially in football. Unfortunately, what comes next is the downfall. At some point, the hype won't meet the hype. The public consumes all the good stories, and the only thing left is to drag the personality back down the ladder that they sent them up. In the process, strong performers get overlooked, get less coverage, and get underserved. 
What we're creating in the sports media is a diva syndrome. If you aren't outlandish, you don't get covered. Perhaps this has always existed, but with the advent of social media, Emil, this whole scenario is now on steroids. I first observed this in college football recruiting coverage, and now I'm noticing it in the NFL draft coverage. Athletes on the high school level will be given awards, MVPs, and superlatives for things that have little to do with their on-field play. Since the public at large does little research, nor do they know enough to decipher what they're seeing, they take these media opinions and they run with them. Unfortunately, it doesn't just stop in high school. The phenomenon grows in college and balloons in the NFL draft. I've been spending quite a bit of time watching draft hopefuls on tape, and as someone who has both played and watched the game, I have one thought, Emil. What in the hell are people looking at? I'm left to think one thing. These networks providing draft coverage and mock drafts must have only one objective, and that is to entertain, because clearly they're not here to inform. So time and again, the media will create the stories for us and go out of their way to help us think what they want us to think. With our society becoming less and less willing to work to get knowledge, we become victims of the media puppets. Emil, I'm telling you, it's truly sad to watch, and I'm watching it unfold right before my eyes. You with me or well, against me on that? No, I mean, you know, it's funny you say this. I mean, I, you and I have known each other a long time, and, you know, we've been doing the show a while, but well before that. Now, I would never suppose or even try to pretend that I could watch film like you because I just mm-hmm. I didn't play like that, you know what I mean? So, But I, I think you would agree that compared to most fans, I, I know a, a pretty good deal about football. Would you agree? Yes, um, you know, more than the average fan. Yeah, I watch some of these college games. I watch a lot of them, obviously. And, you know, I, I go back, I'll watch something again on ESPN Classic. At this time of year, if they show a, re- a guy who's going to be drafted and he's in a game and I'll watch stuff during the year. And I start questioning myself, saying either I don't know what I'm talking about or somebody on the other side doesn't. Because I'm watching guys that they don't talk much about thinking, this kid can play football or I'm watching a guy that they're absolutely in love with that must be a top 10 pick and I'm saying I don't see it you know and I think you've kind of nailed it I think a lot of it's about entertainment I think you have a lot of people in the what we'll use the word mainstream sports media ESPN Fox Sports you know the the main outlets that people go to that you know are more entertainers than they are analysts of the sport we love and, you know, I'm not saying all of them, obviously, but I think there's a good chunk of them that have the personality to be on TV or on radio, but really don't know what the hell they're talking about. And, you know, you know I, I, and I don't know if it's that, Emil. I mean, because some of these guys that are doing it play football. Uh, some of them um, have been at it for a while. You would think, given their pedigree or their resume, they would know. So I'm starting to wonder is. Are they making these opinions? Are they putting these things out there against their better judgment? In other words, are they just towing the company line? That's what I'm starting to wonder. In some cases, I agree. I think they are. And, I mean, in some cases, I think they're definitely towing the company line in a lot of different ways anymore. That, that, we could do a three-hour show on that. I mean, they've mm-hmm. taken, and you know my beef with ESPN, they've taken ESPN and turned it into the political wing of, of Disney, okay? Sure. Um, you know, and, and and I don't. I watch sports to get away from that crap. I, I I mean, if I want that crap, I can turn on anything, anytime, and 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 watch it on MSNBC, Fox News, ABC. I don't need that. Um, 
So what I what I see happening right now is a lot of these guys are towing the company line. But I will say this, and don't make this mistake. Just because you played something, and even at a high level, doesn't mean you necessarily know how to analyze it, if that makes any sense. True. Um, no, I'll definitely um, agree with that. Right. I mean, I, I always say to people, you know, I don't know how to make a television. I couldn't come close. Okay. Right. But I can look at TVs and tell you which ones I think are good and which ones I think are bad. And I think most people would probably agree with my assessment. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that so, so I think sometimes people get caught. So up I will say well, people he, agreeing doesn't necessarily make you right. And that, no, no, no. That, and that's, that's yeah. true. That's true too. But I, well, I guess what I'm trying to say is a lot of people just, you're very good at analyzing and you played, which gives you an advantage. Not every guy who played is very good at analyzing. Am I making any sense? True. I will say this. Um, as Immediately after my playing days, um, I would not have been as good at analyzing things prior to me coaching. And I've said this. I have this advantage, and I'm not really here to pat myself on the back, but this, this is our show. Um, one of the advantages yeah, I that. have, and people won't, won't see this is that I started coaching football at the youth level. And I think that's been such a big part of my development is coaching at the youth football level and seeing how everything starts, seeing how a football player. So you're going to watch someone on an NFL football field and where most people will have very little insight about this. I can see where a player started. I've been in this long enough, able to, now see players I saw play youth football playing in the NFL. I mean, it's a crazy thing for me to watch. Um, the the co-Super Bowl MVP, even though he wasn't named that, James White, I saw right. him play Little League football. I saw him oh, play I, Little League I, football. I believe it, and I think, that's, I think that's one thing you're right about. I think you have an advantage in that sense. Um, but I, I, I think to your broader point, you know, let's not get off. I got us off. You know, I think some guys don't know what the hell they're talking about, even though they played. But by and large, your bigger point is, I think a lot of this is constructed. What yes. the media, sports media does, they, they build a guy up. It's a good story. And then they t- look at Johnny Manziel. Okay, any guy covering him down at A&M had to see if they had any life experience and they were more than 30 years old where that train wreck was headed, okay? If they were a beat reporter down there and they're covering yeah, you didn't even have kid, to know they, football, though, Emil. You didn't even have to know football. No, you just had to know life. You, you could know nothing about football. All you had to do was watch this kid, and you're a beat reporter for A&M. You're watching what this kid's doing. You're getting the word. I mean, you're in town. You're plugged into the community. You hear what's going on, okay? All you have to do, I mean, all ESPN or any of these outlets really had to do if they wanted to do their homework and report what we need to know as fans is, hey, you know, this kid has some talent, but he's out of control. And if he doesn't, you know, get it under control, this is not going to work. I mean, that's the honest assessment of him. You didn't need to know anything about football. You didn't have to care if he was six foot one or if he could throw a deep out. You didn't need to know any of that. His life was out of control when he was in college, but no one wanted to report that. So they built the kid up. We got the stories about Jerry Jones' love affair with him, which but that part was true. <laughs> right. You know, and then he gets taken, and lo and behold, he goes to the Cleveland Browns. That's strike number one. Strike number yeah. two, he does exactly <laughs> in the pros what he, what he did in college. And 
Now we tear him down because that's that's what we do now. Now let's destroy the guy for a while. That's what the media does. Great, he was a great story, Emil. And I'm saying you didn't even have to know football to analyze uh, what he was doing off the field. That might be a problem. Just look at him as a player. Like leave the off the field stuff out of the way. Just look at him as a player. And if you watched uh, one season of college football, one season of NFL football you realize that this wasn't going to translate. But you have to stand to the side and watch this get rammed down the, the, the throats of the public because if you speak out against it, you become some kind of hater. But in the process, Emil, let's look at this. He was picked in the first round, 22nd pick by the Cleveland Browns. By virtue of him doing that, it pushed back a couple of other quarterbacks that were picked in this draft. So where Teddy Bridgewater, who was taken 32nd, could have been picked 22nd yes. by Cleveland. Where Derek Carr, who's just absolutely lighting things up in the NFL, was picked 36th. You know, Derek Carr could have been a first-round pick. He could have been in Bridgewater's spot. Sure. Or hell, Derek Carr could have been the 22nd pick. But instead, the Cleveland Browns picked Johnny Manziel. And then I'm wondering how much of that was just their own analysis or was it them feeling the pressure of the public and trying to make a move that they felt the fans would be online with. And that's the thing I wonder. Derek Carr, let's use him as an example. He was going to be a hard sell to, to, you know, because the the fans were going to be skeptical. Okay. Carr came in, his brother had flamed out and now he's not his brother, but we know how people are. Must be the same as his brother. He played at a relatively obscure place, Fresno State. If you remember their bowl game that year, they happened to play. And the only reason I remember it, they played USC and got absolutely throttled. The, the mm-hmm. problem was Derek Carr couldn't play the other 21 positions, okay? Mm-hmm. So it was a hard media sell. Manziel was easy, man. He upset Alabama. He won the Heisman Trophy. It was easy for them to sell clicks and eyeballs to – you know, is your team going to get Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football? Mm-hmm. Are you going to get him? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There's a no-brainer. I, I mean, and this happens time and again. And you, and you and I have been around long enough to have seen this uh, multiple times. So our younger listeners uh, and those in the Twitter world, which tend to be uh, youngins um, in the 20s and teens, um, have not seen as much as we have, but it's happened time and again. And it usually well, a lot of it. Chad, is- excuse me one second. Let's go back. It's even easier. We were doing last year's draft shows, okay? And all last year during the draft, you were having a little bit of fun with me. I don't even say fun, but you 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 took my me being a homer with the Cowboys, and we would go through and we would we really spent a, a decent amount of time because we we're not huge into going player by player on these drafts, you and I, but we we really kind of talked about the quarterbacks quite a bit last year, if you remember. Sure. And I, you know, I said to you early on, and I'm not here to pretend I, nobody knew what was going to happen, but I told you, I love Dak Prescott and you did too. Okay. Right. Absolutely. My, my, my reasoning was simple. I'm a simple man. Okay. On Saturdays, I would turn on my TV and Mississippi state would come on. And I would see this kid play in there, and he played a lot all four years. But toward the end, I saw them winning nine and ten games and playing Alabama to like 24, 19 games and being number one in the country for a couple weeks. And I scratched my head and I said to myself, self, you've been watching this for 40 years since you're a little kid. I don't ever remember Mississippi State being any good. Matter of fact, I remember – I remember them being somebody that people wiped their feet on, okay? Sure. That's exactly what they were. Right, and I said, this kid is not only winning, but he's winning in the pocket and he's breaking records. So 
man, if I can get him in the second round, that's kind of where I wanted to get him. I was if they took him in the second round, I would have been thrilled. Um, I, I thought he was a good pick. Now he ended up going in the fourth, so I would have been an idiot GM. I would have overpaid based on the NFL, the NFL opinion of him. There's no reason that guy. As a matter of fact, if you redrafted last year's draft, which a lot of people did already, and they've put them up on online, he's the number one pick. But everybody wanted this kid Carson Wentz. That was a good story. His team won a couple national championships, and he may end up still being a very good player. But I remember you and I both kind of saying, listen, I like the kid, and if I can get him at the end of the first round or the top of the second, fine. But I'm not using the number one or number two pick on a kid that played one double-A football. It's just a big jump. Yeah, so to what extent um, does the media control what happens in the draft? You know, that's just something I've been thinking about. But there's someone out there, Emil, that I think could be this year's Dak Prescott. And I'll tell you who that person is when we return here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Stay with us. We'll be right back right after this. sports do you love money do you love excitement well get ready because you may have found your heaven FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoff FanDuel pays out over 10 million dollars in winnings weekly to its members that's right 10 million dollars one member has made over 600000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25 and, get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! Iron Stud Show. You know, Emil, while we were away, there was a whole March Madness tournament that went down, the NCAA tournament. All of the rounds went down. We had a championship game. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the talk yesterday on talk radio and on the social networks about the game had to do with the officiating and the number of fouls that were called. And I've kind of noticed this, Emil, about uh, big games whether it be college basketball or, 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 you know, football or something like that, or the uh, an NBA series or championship, no one ever talks about uh, maybe how poorly the game was played by both sides. No one really talks about 
how many actual fouls were committed or penalties were committed by either team. It's just when the flags start to fly, they always throw it on the officials. And no one really takes a good hard look at what was actually happening on the field. And maybe there were fouls. Maybe both teams just were really over-aggressive. And if the officials don't do their jobs, we're going to end up with a really, really uh, sorry product. We're probably going to have a ruined moment in a game that could get out of control and have something historical happen that we don't really want to have happen. Whenever there's, there's fouls and there's penalties called at a high level in a game, I never hear anyone say, or throw it on the players. Always throw it on the officials. And so, you know, that, it's, it's funny you that say again. that because I, I printed out or I posted yesterday. Uh, I have the utmost respect now, not, not that I didn't before, for those players and that coach from Gonzaga because they did not at all blame the officials. And matter of fact, the coach went as far as saying, listen, we had three of the best officials in the, in the world in this game. I don't yeah. care. He said pro, college, high school, it doesn't matter. He goes, both teams were throwing the ball into the post to big men and the guards on both teams play downhill. That tends to lead to games with a lot of contact and fouls. He didn't complain about it. No, and, and he was right in that, listen, basketball, both on the college and the NBA level, has become more guard dominant than in years past, which means we have a lot more perimeter shooting, a lot more three balls shot. But this was a throwback game, Emil. Big guys on the court feeding the ball in down in the low post, which lends itself to being a more physical game and thus more fouls being called. And all you can hear is the attack on officials. It's almost like that's the thing to do. Um, it, it, and you know what? It, listen, we have this going on in sports, whether it be football, basketball, uh, those two main sports. We have people who aren't, didn't grow up as fans of these sports now being more involved in them because there is more coverage, both of uh both of the, uh, the, the big leagues, the NBA and the NFL, have become more involved in trying to internationalize their game. And as I always say, steal eyeballs off the other channels. And I always say bravo, but they're grabbing that audience. And you've got more people involved in sports now commentating, offering their commentary on social network about it that don't really know much at all about the sport. And so when they come in late like that, it just seems to be the chic thing to attack the officials. And that's what I think we got in this NCAA championship game. Yeah, it seems it seems like that's just the the direction things go anymore. I mean, you know, let's just go after the officials. And listen, it was a sloppy game, but to your point, I think part, a big chunk of it had to do with the the teams were were playing throwback basketball. That's a good way to describe it. They were you know they were banging, and you're you know if you don't want the refs to call that, then change the rules, NCAA. But, you know, if they're calling that all year, you can't expect them then all of a sudden because you want to be entertained uh, to just let it go. <laughs> sure. Uh, and you just and you let things get out of hand. You could have a malice in the palace type deal if you don't um, get control of a game that's getting physical. And, 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 you know, that's what the officials are there for. But I've just noticed that, that we always seem to go after the officials when there are a lot of flags or penalties, and we don't really take a look at what the players were actually doing. Perhaps a good deal of those, if not all, were warranted. And it allowed you, in the end, to get yourself a good basketball game because that's what we got on Monday night, a game that went down to the wire and was decided in the final minute of the game. And I think you know, before we go attacking the officials, we should be happy that that's the kind of game that we got and not one that was decided 
midway through the second half. So just my two cents on that. But getting back to our topic of discussion here today as to, you know, the media creating these stars and uh, ignoring players that are actually very good, which we see that quite a bit in this day and age. But, you know, I'm, I don't want to go so far as to say that this particular player I'm talking about is going to do what Dak Prescott did. I'm not going to say that at all. That's not exactly what I'm saying. But I'm seeing a similar circumstance for this player, Emil. Let's not kid ourselves for Dak Prescott to do what he did this year. Uh, you know, some things had to fall in place. And uh, one of those things was, first of all, the starting quarterback, Tony Romo, getting injured and not being able to compete. And this happening early in the season as opposed to late, because I think it would have been a different story for Dak Prescott if he had to come in in week eight as opposed to starting off the season as the starter. He also had to be on a good football team with a good offensive line and a great running game. Um, So he had to be on a good football team. Let's not kid ourselves. This wouldn't have happened for him if he was in Jacksonville, let's say. But I'm seeing in Dak Prescott, the similarities I, I see with him and this player I'm about to talk about uh, the fact that he was uh, a three, maybe even a four-year starter, I'll have to look that up, but a great amount of experience, which I have through research and just, just straight-up knowledge of being around, is something that is so rampantly overlooked in drafting quarterbacks. Um, he had the experience and performed well and was consistent in his performances uh, much like this next player that I'm going to talk about, and it happens to be Brad Kaya, the quarterback from the University of Miami. Now, I've been on the social networks um, talking him up, and I'm seeing in Brad Kaya a guy who didn't have all the advantages of some of the other quarterbacks when he took the field on Saturdays, namely uh, him having to deal with a different coordinator every year, a head coaching change, and um, a team that's not, at least in the early going, as talented and skilled as some of the teams he was going up against. When you talk about the University of Miami in the days when I played there, listen, 90, 95% of the time, Emil, when we took the field, we were more talented and skilled than the team we were playing against. And let's not forget that part about skilled because, you know, I know University of Miami fans will want to argue me down about the talent part. Yes, we had talented players, great athletes, but not as skilled. And I didn't really see the skill part until this year uh, when they took the field with Mark Rick. Right. But he didn't have that advantage. You know, when you're USC or you're Alabama or you're one of these teams um, that are at the top, top of college football now, when you step on that field, you are, you're going to win. Your guys are going to win for you. Your offensive line is going to win against the other team's defensive line. Your receivers are going to win versus those defensive backs. And the game becomes easier for you. And Dak Prescott did not necessarily have that. And Brad Kaya did not necessarily have that. But year in, year out, Brad Kaya was consistent. 3,000 yards every year. A good uh, touchdown to interception ratio. Now, some Miami fans would say, oh, he didn't make this read here. Oh, I saw him do this in big games. I'm going to go back to what I said. He didn't have the advantages of some of the other guys at the top programs. And I think he's being ignored right now in this NFL draft. I don't know. It's because he's not... He doesn't, there's not a great story. He's not outlandish. He's not flamboyant. Uh, He didn't play for a national champ. I don't know what the story is, but what I'm seeing is a three-year starter who was consistent in his production. That has to mean something in the NFL. And should he land in the proper place and have some things fall in line, a la Dak Prescott, I think we could see um, 
some of the similar things that happened for Dak happened for Brad Kite. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. I mean, you know, I'm not, I, I like him, so you know that. We've talked about this on other shows. I like him more than most people. I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure he's the same quality athlete as far as outside the pocket, but he can certainly throw it, that's for sure. Um, I think that's that's underrated for him, and I do agree with what you said in your assessment of Miami. It's It's, I think, a very honest assessment compared to most fans. Yeah, they may have some guys that were great track stars and whatnot in – in high school down there, but until this past year, you really didn't see skill. You didn't see right. them winning battles, and and I think fans need to understand that just because a kid comes in at 18 as a great athlete, almost every one of the major big 25 programs in the country have a bunch of great athletes. The question is, can, can it be converted to skill? <laughs> That's right, exactly. And 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 like I said, I didn't really see that until. This year, I mean, you could take that how you want about the previous regime, but they were they, you know, was fired for a reason, um, and a big part of that was people being able to see that there was talent there, and it just wasn't doing what it needed to do. So, um, you know, I'm just wondering what, what what the deal is with with Kaya. Like they'll over, and you know, what's the next thing uh, in talking about the the topic we're leading off here with today? Here's this phenomenon I noticed, and we'll see this in players getting analyzed. You will see the analysts who fall in love with a player make excuses for shortcomings, whereas when it comes to another guy, they will say that's a reason. So, oh, but that's you know, human it, nature. I mean, I mean, listen, you, you and I know this, and that's kind of the reason I think both of us probably in the last couple of years have refrained by and large from, say, discussing politics and social media because – Unless you're going to be completely honest with yourself, all humans, we do that. In other words, if it's your guy, you kind of gloss over the stuff that that, that maybe in a perfect world is against your principles. Mm-hmm. And if it's the other guy, you attack it. Well, it's the same thing with athletes. You know, they these guys look, and if it's a guy that they deemed is going to make it or they like him, then, then the flaws are just, you know, they're little surface scratches. They can be buffed out. But right. if it's you know if it's a if it's a guy they're not high on for whatever reason they don't like yeah, that's the guy the they, they interviewed him good. he won't be good that's the reason it has to be and you know I th- I'm not even sure if that's as much um, today's media as just a, a flaw that we have as humans we, we we bring our own biases and beliefs in almost any discussion and unless unless you become very self aware and, and and have the ability to, to to, to analyze yourself almost and say, listen, I know I have this bias. I gotta, I gotta be careful here because you know. Yeah, it becomes funny to I, watch too, too, Amal, especially when it's the same element. Um, and by that I mean, let's take for example a forty-yard dash time. Um, mm-hmm. I have seen analysts already uh, downgrade a guy over his forty-yard dash time while uh, dismissing it on another player. Uh, so, you know, the 40 yard dash for the guy, they don't really, they're not that high on is an issue. Um, you know, I don't know about his, you know, his long speed and, uh, his quickness, you know, that could be a problem at the next level. Um, and then you'll hear on another prospect, not really worried about that 40 yard dash time. Uh, you know, he's done this, that, or the other, and it's just, I'm not a big believer basically in straight measurements in any sport. And what I mean by that is. You know, the 40-yard dash, we talked about it with Matt uh, from Bleacher Report when he was on here. 
Um, you look at a 40-yard dash. You go, you watch the combine. Okay, guys get down in the sprinter position, and they get all ready, and away they go. Okay, now, I mean, obviously, that never happens on a football field. Nobody gets down in a sprinter position. Right. And, and, run, and, and frankly, if you're running 40 yards in a straight line, unless you're Ezekiel Elliott, probably something mm-hmm. bad is happening, okay? Sure. Because, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know, so I've always kind of looked at that and said, well, okay, like, I hear, t- take guys in the league today, okay? I'm, and I understand there's a baseline, okay? You can't have a corner that runs a five-second 40. I understand there's a basic level you need for competence at a position. But mm-hmm. take a guy like Des Bryant. What is he? Six two two twenty. Yes. He was never a burner. I think he might have ran a four or five. I mean, I mean that's fast for most human mm. beings. It's really fast. But I'm saying he was not some guy running four three five. He was a guy that ran four five four, maybe even four five five, which is which is fast, but it's not burner fast. But he can play football. So who cares? I mean, there's a lot of guys like that. I think. I think it's overrated. I think it's the same thing with pitchers. You know, they get these radar guns out. Oh, he's uh, Chad's throwing 97. Well, that gun can't tell you if the ball's moving. It can't talk about if you if you're deceptive in your delivery. It might you might pitch like a pitching machine. It might come out 97 straight as an arrow. It's going to come sure. back at you 110 straight as an arrow. So it's I think it's overrated. I think a lot of the media, to your point, get caught up in groupthink. And what I mean by that is one or two major players in the industry get on a player and they either love him or hate him and everybody follows that lead because a they don't want to be the a conga line. Yeah. Yep. And yep. It's, they don't uh, want to be Yeah, it's just it's just crazy to watch. Um but, you know, that's you know, we're merely talking about it. We're not going to change society here on the Gridiron Stud Show, but just to point some things out to you. Just want to make anyone listening to the show that much more smarter just by having listened to us, Amon. That's, I guess, our job. We'll, we'll be the ones to kind of try and uh, inform while we also attempt to entertain here. Uh, looks like it's time for our second break. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, though, uh, we've got the public at large controlling who wins a championship. Is this not the wildest thing? That I, the, this has got to be the craziest thing I've ever seen in sports, and I just discovered that this even exists this week. I'll tell you what that is when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show. We'll be right back right after this. You hear news? Sure, someone's gone, winch is here, but that doesn't mean everyone's putting their t-shirts away. Whether it's the company recreational basketball team, the youth soccer league for the kids, or the Halloween party your buddy throws every year, t-shirts are as much a part of the American culture as Tom Brady deflating footballs. Screen printed t-shirts are costly when done for small groups. They're limited in color unless you want to pay even higher prices. More colors, more costly. The answer? Do it yourself at home with your inkjet printer and a hand iron. Whether it's your 7-on-7 team, your child's birthday party, or the family reunion, you can do it yourself and they'll look great. That's right, with heat transfer paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com, you can design your own logos, do the wording whatever you want, print it on your own inkjet paper sold by t-shirtsupplies.com, and iron it on with your own hand iron. 
The design or pictures you put on your t-shirts are limited only by your own imagination and creativity. If you dream it up and design it, the paper soul at t-shirtsupplies.com can get it onto your t-shirt. By the way, don't worry if you haven't done it before. As T-Shirt Supplies has first-rate customer service, they'll help you get the right paper for your project and steer you in the right direction. Visit them at tshirtsupplies.com. That's t-shirt, no hyphen, supplies pearl, all one word, dot com. Or call them at 1-877-857-2737. That's 1-857-85-PAPER. T-shirtsupplies.com. Go there now. You want the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship-type speed? Do you want speed that kills? Then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises, along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. Ten thirty-seven here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Emil, I listen. You you have a, a brother. Um, you know, I grew up with an only child, but plenty of cousins. And uh, sure. in in the course of playing around, usually around holiday times, you know, when you're together with your siblings or your your cousins, and you guys are out doing stuff, undoubtedly you're going to do something you're not supposed to do, and cousin or brother or you know, whoever, you know what? I'll even say this. I have a stepbrother, Danny fight. Um, he's called into the show several times. Uh, I do remember one time we went to go play baseball down the street. Um, and we had wooden bats. For some reason we went out and, you know, my dad got us some wooden bats. I guess he wanted to make us real and authentic. And yes, Danny being younger than me and smaller than me at the time, um, had a lighter bat, so I used to like to swing his bat. So we're out there playing. I took his bat. <laughs> I used his bat one day and got a good swing on a ball, and sure enough, it's a wooden bat, so you know what happened. Um, bat cracks, and Danny's he's gone, all right? He's down the street. He's going to tell on me. Uh, he, <laughs> I mean, this is the fastest <laughs> this kid ever moved at this age. So I'm chasing him back down the street home to uh, stop him from dropping dime on me. Um, lo and behold, I think he did tell, it ended up not being a big deal, but he dropped a dime on me and, you know, I had a little bit of a tense moment. So I'm going to talk about this LPGA thing. We had a, we, we had a golf tournament. I'm not big on golf. I don't follow golf like that. I certainly don't follow women's golf. And I think most of us, uh, in this, in this land had no idea who Lexi Thompson was prior to this weekend, but the poor lady had, um, a nice little lead in uh in the in the tournament and lo and behold 
and I didn't even know that this was possible, Emil. I mean, I became so informed on this. An individual watching the tournament on television called in and told on Thompson, who placed her ball one inch away from where it was marked. And as a result, she received a four-stroke penalty, ended up in her falling back to the pack. She went into a playoff at the end and ended up losing. Emil, I'm amazed by this. Now, I've heard some of the explanations why a fan is allowed to call in and report, um, you know, a penalty like this. And you probably follow golf more than me, but I was completely blown away by the fact that a fan could do this. And in this day and age where there are just so many haters in their social network, just what kind of a environment does that create in sports? Yeah, well, first of all, I'm a recovering golfer. I, 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 I no longer play, so I followed slightly more than you at this point. Um, I, you know, I played from my father was a six day a week guy, and uh, as, you know, I as played was my was, father. Okay, well, there you go. So we have that in common. I played when I was young and through high school. I was an all all regional golfer a couple of years, my junior and senior year. So I, I, I was good at it, but it's just one of those things. I lost interest as I got older, and a lot of golf to me. Is this goofy stuff that that kind of just turns me off? It's like, you know, do it was a one foot putt. Okay, she's a professional golfer. I, I there was no intent there. Phil Mickelson didn't want to comment on the specific case. They asked him yesterday before their tournament, the men's, and all he said is, "Listen, I've been on tour a long time, and we have quite a few guys that are lax in marking their ball." What the PGA needs to do is just remind them that, you know, you got to be more diligent, and I think it'll go away. And then they kept pushing him on this, and he said, frankly, I would have given her a warning. I think the four-stroke penalty basically is BS. You know? Completely you over the top, Emil. I mean, I haven't even gotten into that. I'm just talking about her being penalized at all, but four strokes. I mean, good God. Well, it's no different than when a guy goes in. They have that goofy rule in, in pro golf. Okay, a guy, say a guy's caddy accidentally marks the wrong score, and he goes in and he shoots, say, a, a you know, a seventy-one, mm-hmm. and and the scorecard says seventy. Instead of just telling the guy, listen, um, you know, your scorecard's off a stroke. You need to make that a seventy-one. And the guy goes, oh man, we must. Nope, he signed the card. He's out of the tournament. He's done. That's it. Amazing. See you later alligator <laughs> yeah i mean really 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 strict i think this lexi thompson got jobbed um she didn't make that big of a deal out of it other than to be emotional and she described herself as an emotional individual so i really truly felt bad for her but i'm just blown away by the fact that fans can call in i mean fans are not unbiased people so I mean, well, I think it's weird. In other sports. I think it's a weird thing. I mean, what if, what if I'm sitting there in the NFL game on Sunday and the Cowboys got the four o'clock game, so I'm watching the Eagles and I notice a holding penalty on the tackle on a touchdown? Can I? Is there a bat phone where I can dial it and say, "Hey, Peters was holding I mean, on that. Throw a flag, man." <laughs> I mean, that would be crazy. I mean, between the fan interest and the betting interest, you couldn't complete a game if that even existed. So, and then there was this other point that was made that I thought was really probably one of the biggest points that was uh, made in this whole thing. Um, Who gets televised in golf tournaments? Your top people. So your top people are going to be the only ones subjected to this. Tiger Woods in his heyday, um, he's the one that's being shown. Phil Mickelson's being shown. The other guys are not. 
So they can get away with just about anything if you if you go by this scenario. Right. I agree. Right. I, I don't get so, it. I'm I'm with you. I'm like this is this is weird. I have to think uh that the the LPGA and and you know, both sides, men and women's golf are gonna have to re examine this now that it's become, you know, a really big deal. Uh I didn't even know that this existed, but it's it now it's a big deal and a lot of eyes are gonna be on the sport now. And I, I think there's they're gonna have a problem with legitimacy, don't you think? If if something like this were to happen again. Oh, yeah. I think it's bad that they even, you know, I they shouldn't even answer the phone at these tournaments. I mean, I don't know who you call or how you report this, but there should when fans are calling during a tournament, they should put a message on, "We'll see you Monday after the tournament. Call us back during our business hours." What why are they even entertaining this stuff? I don't it, I have it, no ridiculous. idea. Are they walking around with pages on their hip? Uh, we've got a tip yeah. Line who do you call? Here. Honestly, I want to know how you do this, because I know my father, God rest his soul, would have been calling all the time just for the hell of it, because he was that kind of. <laughs> do, do they do they advertise the number? I, I mean, maybe you, you look it up and you just call their offices. Line? Yeah, maybe you just call the PGA office. Yeah, it's a uh, it's crazy. Uh, I just um, I don't know. I I found that to be a real head scratcher. But again, I uh, became more informed. All right, let's talk about this guy. It's uh, it's it's your team, and they've been on a lot. Um, we need to talk about this. It's a sad day in in Cowboys land. I wish we had some sad music that we could play, Emil. Uh, we are on Blog Talk Radio, but um, do you want me? Do you want me? To, do you want me to start to cry? Just yes, and if you could hum in the background, that would be the same. The Dallas Cowboys and Tony Romo era has come to an end. He will no longer stand on the sidelines with a hat holding his ribs, <laughs> it's, or you know, limping off with his back in a curve for the Dallas Cowboys. He will now leave the National Football League and obtain a very lucrative position with CBS Sports as the lead play-by-play guy for their NFL coverage. Which, by the way, Emil, I would love to know how you just walk into that job. I mean, there's got to be some intensive training going on for that. And then what exactly, because I haven't been able to follow this. Have you heard Phil Simms do a game, Chad? I mean, listen, the, the bar is not really high, okay? I spend most of my Sundays when Phil Simms does a game that I have to watch trying to figure out what the hell Phil Simms is talking about, okay? Okay, well, that would lend itself to what I'm saying here is that, uh, well, how did Phil get that job? How did Don Meredith get a job? I mean, they played, and they're entertaining, so that they, they can teach him the other crap. They figure, listen, would you, have you know, Romo's Phil entertaining? On no, Phil's out? not entertaining, but I think Romo is and will be very good at it. I kind of, when this thing was going down, had a raised eyebrow because, you know, again, the national media, I can't believe Jerry Jones won't release Tony Romo. Mm. Those two guys, from what I understand, are about as close to a father-son relationship as you get. I mean, they hang out together. Like, Jerry, Tony goes to the family events. So mm. if when he wasn't releasing him, trying to trade him, I think there was something behind the scenes, obviously, going on where Romo said, listen, I'm in no hurry here. I want to look around. If you can trade me to Denver or Houston, by all means, 
get something back for me. Right. Because, listen, Jerry Jones owes Tony Romo nothing. He paid the guy literally in real cash. This isn't fake paper NFL money. Tony Romo made $130 million as the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Let me say that again, $130 million. Um, so Jerry owed him nothing, and I think, you know, being that they were friends, Tony said, listen, if you can get something for me, fine. I think in the interim, Romo evaluated his health, his current family condition. He's 37 years old. We've got a third kid on the way. And said, listen, if, if I think in his mind he might have looked at this, and I'm just guessing like anyone else, if they can't get something decent in return for me, what does that say about the confidence level of the team trading for me? In other words, you're not going to give a second-round pick for a Tony Romo, but you're going to give like a first and a fourth for a Sam Bradford? I think Romo you, probably yeah. looked and said, Yeah, what's yeah. happening there? That didn't make any well, sense to me. No, and I, I think Tony probably looked at that and said, listen, do I really want to be a part of that? I mean, basically what someone's doing is saying, I want you to come in here, work on the cheap. They weren't going to pay him 15 or $16 million a year. Both teams, Houston and Denver, said that. So they were going to ask him by NFL standards to play probably for $10 bucks, which most of us would do. But again, by NFL quarterback standards, that's a cheap contract. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick made 14 or $15 million last year. So... Romo probably looked at that and said, okay, I could go get my brains beat in. I'm going to get hit wherever I'm playing. I played in Dallas behind the best line in the league, and I got hit. I'm definitely going to get hit in Houston or Denver. I can make $10 million, or I can go do this thing with CBS, which will lead me to the next 15, 20, 30 years of my life. And I bet you he's probably making, what, lead analyst? He's got to make $5 bucks a year doing that, wouldn't you think? Probably. Probably. Right. And I can um, sit there with a nice suit on. I see my family almost every night of the week. I leave on Friday or you know, to do the production meetings and I'm home Sunday night. Oh Amel, it's, Amel, it's the it's one of the greatest jobs in the world. Just ask Jimmy Johnson, he'll openly tell you that. Um it's a great gig if you can get it and it seems Tony has gotten it and I just think it was something he couldn't turn down. Now I'm hearing uh this weird scenario that the door is still open for Tony to come back to the Cowboys in the event that Dak Prescott gets hurt. How exactly would that work, Amon? And have you heard that? Yeah, I've heard that, and I've heard actually Romo say that in a, in a certain situation, if the Cowboys needed me, and he said it would have to be a situation where Dak suffered a season-ending injury and they were still in playoff contention. So, you know, both things would have to be there. In other words, the team's playing well, he gets hurt for the season, he would consider coming back. And I've also heard a couple AFC GMs claim that they're 100% convinced he'll come back and play for someone else. I think they're wrong there. I think Romo seems like a decent decent guy and fairly sincere. He made the comment yesterday, I'm 99% sure I'm retired permanently and just left that door slightly cracked on the Cowboys scenario. I think if he wanted to play for Houston or Denver, he'd be there right now because if he wants to win a Super Bowl – the best way to do that is to be in the off-season program, getting acquainted with your teammates, the offense, and everything else. So I, I, I don't see Romo all of a sudden leaving the booth to play for the Houston Texans. I don't think that's happening. I think the Cowboy thing is a, a weird – it would have to be a goofy scenario. Dallas is 8-3, and three and Dak Prescott, God forbid, breaks his, his fibula. He's out for the rest of the year. Where is, the only where guy is Bill, can, Sims, where's Bill Sims going? I, 
you know, the only thing they could do is maybe send him to that NBC booth on Sunday night to really torture me. We could have a three-man booth with Sims, Collinsworth, and Al Michaels. Did this guy then, just lose his job yeah. like that? Is that what happened? Well, or they assign him to the second team. In other words, all those networks have four and five teams. Um, and you kind of get the feel for who's the number one team, who's the number two team, because the second best game will always have the same guys on it. Maybe he goes to the number two team. Nance and Romo are the number one team now at CBS. I really would like to know, and I guess I could do a little research on that. Um, but I'd like to know what that guy gets paid. To get those caliber people, I mean, it's it's got to be – in the multi-millions. I mean, if you're, I mean, and again, I don't mean to throw numbers around because for most of us, we'd be tickled pink. So I don't mean it to sound like that, but if you're Tony Romo, I'm not sure you're going to work that hard for a million dollars a year. Cause people make it, it is a great gig and you and I'd love it. People who love sports, but you still have to work. I mean, you've got preparation, you've got show up on Friday. You got to interview guys. You know, things probably get monotonous after a while. you got to ask the same questions that you already know the answers to if you're Tony Romo. Um, so, you know, you, you, there has to be some incentive there. I would bet he's getting – him and Aikman get paid pretty well now. Um, yeah, I would think so. I just would love to know what that exact number is. So, I'm, you know, I'm going to have to go do well, a little you know, bit. We'll have to do some research because almost everything you can find on the Internet in these entertainment sites. We're gonna, I'm going to have to do some – when I have some time, I'll do some some – Googling, as they say, with different searches and see if I could figure out about what these guys are making. But I'm betting it's a, you know, it's a pretty hefty amount. And, you know, Romo, being serious here, he, he leaves a mixed legacy in the NFL because I think he's one of those guys that's hard for anybody who's being honest that isn't, a, a, you know, going to be a total apologist or a hater to to properly analyze because there's no doubt about it the guy was a talented player i mean anybody who tries to tell you anything other than that just end the conversation they don't watch football enough or they don't know what they're talking about but because he didn't have the postseason success won only a couple playoff games it's hard to say you know exactly where he falls for me somewhere in the excellent category but below hall of famer he's not a hall of, you need to have the complete resume for me for the hall of fame but to say he wasn't an excellent player, I think you're not being fair to the guy. If you really look at the Cowboys, what was around him, he had two teams there that I say had legitimate chances to win Super Bowls. The 2007 team, which had the number one seed in the NFC, lost in the divisional round to the Giants, who beat the Patriots and won the Super Bowl. They had a top 10 defense. That was an excellent team. And the 2014 team, I would say, had an outside chance, but their defense was middle of the pack. It was not a, a good. It was not a Super Bowl caliber defense. You I think a lot that. of this angle is just going to boil down to you know a little bit of what we've talked about on the show today. It's just you know, uh, it comes with an angle. Um, your assessment of Tony Romo. If you're a Dallas Cowboys hater, then you're going to be hard on Romo. If you're a Cowboys fan. You may be a little bit more on uh, on on a touchy, good feeling to Tony Romo's career, and I think that's really just what it boils down to. It's not clear cut. It's not Brady. It's not Montana. No. Um, and, you know, then it's not. Well, it's you think not, he was an excellent player, don't you? I do. I do think that he was a great player. I think uh, fans for years were too harsh about the the fumble snap uh, on the field goal. You know, but that's what fans do. And it's like I said, with the ever 
increasing eyeballs coming from other places that are, you know, quote unquote, let's just be honest, less knowledgeable. They will, like you said, hop on um, the current narrative and ride the wave and then it just creates a bigger wave. And so it was. A, well, a big I, Chad, I think it's a, I think you have to have some postseason success. But where I get in fights, even with Cowboy fans who don't like him, is this to me. The Dallas Cowboys, the first half of this current decade, without Tony Romo, were the Dallas Cowboys from 2000 through 2002, Dave Campo, post-Troy Aikman, okay? That was a four- or five-win club. Those teams that went eight and eight without really rebuilding and had a chance to sneak into the playoffs, mm-hmm. that was purely Romo. They, that yeah. was pre-best offensive line in football. That was Jerry trying to rebuild without gutting the team because he needs to be relevant because he owns the most popular sports franchise in America. And Romo kept that team relevant. He did. And here's the bad thing for Tony Romo, Emil, is that um, the manner in which he's leaving is not going to lend itself to, you know, greater appreciation for him now that he's out. He's leaving, um, and the Cowboys have a really good guy in that spot. Uh, And so it's not going to be like Marino – or, 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 you know, or anything like that where this quarterback's leaving and they're going to struggle to find another guy. You know, it's kind of Brett Favre leaving Aaron Rodgers coming in type of deal where, you know, if well, Brett Favre would have left Green right. Bay and it wasn't Aaron Rodgers, there'd be so much admiration, even more admiration for Brett Favre. There won't be as much admiration for Tony Romo as, say, if he had to leave the game because of these injuries and they just had a, a guy in their quarterback, you know, Dak Prescott. To be uh, but here's my problem kid. with your assessment, where I think you're right, but, but I don't get Cowboy fans. What you just described was exactly the post-Aikman, okay? Cowboy fans were in love with Aikman because they realized just how good he was. It should lend a more appreciation for Romo, because when, when, he, when he was getting abused by Cowboy fans, even if I was getting angry with him, I would take a breath and I'd say to people watching a game, listen, Think back to 2001 when Quincy Carter and Clint Stoner and Chad Hutchinson were playing quarterback. Mm. I remember sitting in the old vet stadium one time with my wife for a game in that era, and they came on the field, and they kicked off, and I knew they had no chance to compete. I mean, I watched two plays with a guy playing quarterback. I I get it. You know what the problem was for Tony? Just how it started off with the fumble, snap, that deal. Um, and that he didn't achieve the level of success as the guy before him. The biggest thing for Tony Romo is that he was never Troy Aikman. And I think that's really what that boiled down to. We're nearing the end of the show here. Uh, I do just want to, I just want to drop this quick story right here. Uh, you and I talked, you know, via text a couple of weeks ago where I was making fun of Jay Glazer and Colin Cowherd when they were doing the coverage of, uh, Tom Brady's jersey being stolen and they were totally sensationalizing it. I, it felt like I was listening to Roddy, Roddy Piper and um, I forget Mean Gene Okerlund doing something on the right. WWE. That's how crazy and out there it was. And these two guys were in that whole mode. But it, as it turns out, Emil, uh, the recovery of Tom Brady's jersey was not this big uh, highfalutin uh, collaboration of all of the agencies um, in, in the United States and the Air Force was sent. It was not that big of a deal. Here's what it boils down to. Tip from 19-year-old fan led to Tom Brady's stolen jersey. And I'm going to just read this to you real quick. On the surface, the search for Tom Brady's Super Bowl created the impression, Super Bowl jersey created the impression of a multi-agency effort that included equal parts gumshoe and CSI. In reality, it wasn't nearly that complicated. As explained by Cheryl Fionda. 
WBZ TV. The case turned into turned on a tip from a 19-year-old Patriots fan who lives in Seattle and who, more importantly, collects sports memorabilia. In December, Dylan Wagner sold a jersey to Martin Mercurio Ortega via eBay. They later shared photos of their collections. Ortega's had Brady's Super Bowl jersey complete with grass stains. Wagner asked Ortega how he got the item. Ortega said, I'll tell you later. Opting not to wait for the explanation, Wagner alerted a friend who also is an ATF special agent, so unlucky for Ortega, and nothing happened. After Brady's Super Bowl jersey came up missing, Wagner knew that Ortega was the thief. At that point, Wagner heard from the ATF agent who then gave the information to the FBI. As Wagner tells it, the video of Ortega in the Patriots locker room was inconclusive as to whether Ortega actually stole the item. And that, without photo and other facts the teenager gave to the feds, a search warrant for Ortega's basement would not have been obtained. Then again, Wagner's only 19. What does he know? And that, Emil, is how the case was cracked. Yeah, you know, you texted me that. And I think, you know, I, I'm hoping Colin doesn't go down that road. You and I are both big Colin Cowherd fans. We, I, we've read his books. Entertaining guy. I think he does a good job of combining sports and life and intertwining it. I hope he doesn't become a sellout. You know, I really, I really do because you know th- that whole thing where he was making a big deal out of it. It's like you know, come I on, mean, man. It was a football. Wow. And you know, Glazer is going to be. You know, I expect that from Glazer. That's what he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but Colin was in on the whole thing. Wow, exclusive, exclusive video here. And without Fox's yeah. uh, cameras, we would not have been able to ever. Come on, man, guys, calm down. Come right on, now, guys. Um, you know, I like Colin, but he's looking like a shill for Fox because he's just so happy. And he never misses a moment to take a shot at ESPN. And I'm not going to cry for any spilled blood on ESPN, but um, it's a little bit unbecoming for this guy. And so by the way, speaking of that, next show, I want to touch on one of our old, one of my old favorites who I think has become a total sellout is Stephen A. Smith. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to discuss that. We'll talk about that and more. Uh, on the next time, we have a Gridiron Stud Show. Check your local listings. Uh, we'll, we'll certainly inform you on that. But for now, we want to thank all of you for listening to us. Uh, as we came back here and shook off some rust and did a Gridiron Stud Show, um, we appreciate you guys being listeners. For Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday the Gridiron Stud Show.